What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Meta sued over the addictive nature of its apps for kids and teens. By definition, social media makes everyone depressed and no one's better off. And the GOP taking its last gasp for a new House speaker. Are they voting at noon? What's the over and under on this guy? The unders. I take the under. WeWork's former CEO Adam Newman, born and raised in Israel, working to create amid destruction in his home country. It's up to all of us right now to find our own way that we can do our best. But I also think we can be one of two things. Either we're creators or we're destroyers. I choose to be on the creator side. Plus, a conversation with professor and psychologist Adam Grant. Natural talent is overrated. Finding your hidden potential and measuring success. He looked at predicting people's career success in their 20s and found that you could actually predict income from knowing how many years of experience your kindergarten teacher had. What? It's Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. Ooh, living it up. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go. Yesterday was a big update for the markets. First of all, I want to congratulate Tom Emmer on being selected our speaker-designee. Just hours after Tom Emmer became the Republicans' third choice for nominee for speaker, he has now dropped out. We knew that it was going to be a bit of an uphill climb for him. So I want everyone to know that this race has gotten to the point where it's kind of gotten crazy. This is more about people right now than it should be. What's next, sir? I will if Mike Johnson is the speaker. Absolutely. As I said earlier, he'll be a great speaker as well. Drama continues in D.C. over the next Speaker of the House. Uh, hours after securing the GOP nomination, Congressman uh, Tom Emmer of Minnesota ended his bid. Dozens of Republican lawmakers and former President Trump had expressed opposition to his uh, candidacy. Last night, Republicans choosing Congressman Mike Johnson as its next nominee, a little-known social conservative from Louisiana. Johnson's an attorney and former radio host and a close ally to Donald Trump, who served on the president's legal defense team during his two impeachment trials in the Senate. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. The vote in favor of Johnson came after former Speaker Kevin McCarthy reportedly floated a plan that would reinstall him as Speaker and name Congressman Jim Jordan Assistant Speaker. Speaker McCarthy, is 26 the right number? So now we're in a situation where Remove the speaker, remove the majority leader from being speaker, remove Jim Jordan from being speaker, every single person that's won. And now we've just gone through a battle with uh, elections of nine people. Look, guys, I was thinking about this last night. We are now more than three weeks into this impasse. If you count the week it took to, count, uh, to elect Kevin McCarthy at the beginning of the year, I mean, this is 
nine months and change that they've held control of the right. House and a month that they've been on strike. I don't know the House has happened. been on strike for a month. This is right. the only organization in America where you get paid when you go on strike. And it's still strike. not, it's still, you know, it, I still don't think people are more upset with them than they are just in general with, with the all three bodies. Of but the, this is, exactly. you're either proving that we don't need a no, house or we're going to get to right. the point where everything hits the wall very it's, quickly it's, and It's surreal. Nothing. And it's funny. Now, this, nobody is at 209, which was where McCarthy was. That's 96%. Nobody's there. This guy, the last guy, Emmer, voted to certify the 2020 election. Right. That disqualified him. Right. This guy voted not to certify the 2020 right. That disqualifies this guy. So that shows you where you are. It's really, a, it's, it's amazing. It's kind of a catch-22. I don't know what, the, the way, the, the reason I thought the McCarthy thing made sense, he might be able to hold some of the moderates, although they're mad at him for not backing Scalise more. Right. So I don't know if he can hold the 209. And then Jordan, you bring him in to satisfy some of the Freedom Caucus guys, and maybe you got sort of a blended uh, ticket there. I and may, do maybe that would work, but but we have um, no aid for Israel. We have no aid for Ukraine. We have no money for the border, and we've got this uh, this government shutdown approaching us on November seventeenth. Right. If they can't it's, figure out how to do it, and there's a, now they're they're again talking about um, Patrick McHenry and some type of uh, temporary powers. That's right. that's being floated again, maybe. But I think at noon, are they voting at noon? What what do you? What's the over and under on this I, guy? I don't know the. I mean, I assume the over and under. The, uh, the under is. is I take the under. I would I, say two hundred. At this point, right. it just seems like two hundred. Safe bet. The two hundred might be the under over. Unfortunately, you need two seventeen. Yeah. And and two hundred. Uh, I don't know what the over under on. Didn't you think everybody? I, I took the Diamondbacks because everybody said Phillies. No, I took the Phillies. Where I did like you, the Phillies. where did the big hitters? go the last two games. Harper didn't show up, watched so, them you know, I actually did because it was like so pat and it was, nobody wanted the Diamondbacks. Major League Baseball probably didn't. The media, you know, the... the it, it divided my family. I've got my uncle and his family who live out in Phoenix. Of so course it did. Of course it did. Of course no, it did. You should see the trash talk that we have going on our family <laughs> trash talk lines. Nobody's I like the Diamondbacks. showing up from Philly. I, I like them. I like them and I like, uh, I wasn't surprised with, with Texas either because Houston was the consensus. Yeah. Okay. But I, I'm, 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 yeah. Well, that's this market most unlikely. 120th World Series and the most unlikely two teams you could probably put in. Probably. And a bipartisan group of 42 attorneys general is suing Meta, alleging that features on its Facebook and Instagram social media platforms are addictive and aimed at kids and teens. The attorneys general argue that Meta des designed its platforms to keep young users on them for longer and repeatedly coming back. They also say that Meta violated a children's privacy protection law by collecting personal data on users under the age of 13 without parental consent. A Meta spokesperson pointed out that teens have many options of apps to choose from, so the company is incentivized to try and create the best possible experience. I guess they're saying everybody else is doing it, so why shouldn't we? The company also said that it has introduced more than 30 tools to support teens and their families, including nudging them to take regular breaks or allowing parents to set limits. But of course, they know that this is addictive. They have designed these apps and kind of bragged about to investors that, yeah, we're going to keep them here for longer and here's how we That's do it. That's what the cigarette so. companies used to do too. We have some education uh, right. here. In, As we continue to flavor and, the cigarettes right, and, 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 and cherry the spirits, flavors. The spirits industry. Yeah. 
remember to drink moderately when they're really thinking. As they show pictures of youngsters. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, living it up. Look, this is not just meta, they're right. There are other platforms that are right. doing the same thing. Every one of them is designed to keep you there just like a casino keeps people there. The question is, um, are they gonna be able to continue to do that? Are there gonna be right, so snackbacks for it? Part of me thinks that this, is a, this goes back to a legislative problem, not a legal problem. I mean, it'd be very interesting to see if there's actually internal data that they know where they really understand that they're damaging yeah, we, people I've, I've materially. Seen some no, but I, and we've seen some of the stuff that, that came out. The Facebook two, files two that have ago. come up. There's a I new. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that would constitute a, enough of a. I, I I think this ultimately needs to be solved with legislation. That's what I would think. Potentially, although they may have already gotten in trouble. Where if you're collecting data from parent from kids under the age of right. 13 without doing no, no. it, you're already in violation. And of I think so. I think there's going to be some things that they. But in terms of like actually being able to change the whole dynamic. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a house and a Congress that could actually address some of these things? But, but there I don't is think a it's law that it's going. It's and, and it's. You give people enough rope to hang themselves, they hang themselves. Is there any way to prevent this? Is there any way to make it a safe place in terms of bullying and feeling bad about yourself and looking at other people on vacations? And it's just by definition, social media makes everyone depressed and, and no one's better off after it. And whether they're trying to do it and, and draw you in and get you addicted, which they probably are, or whether you're just doing it yourself. There's, we're, in a, we're in a but tough spot. But I would spot. also say there's a couple of other issues. It's not, to me, it's not just a Facebook story or, an, or um, a TikTok story. Yeah. There's also the question of these guys. So, you know, I'm an Apple fanboy. I love Apple. You mean they suck you into... No, no, no. If they cared about this issue, really. If they really cared about this issue, which they could, Would actually. It, is it they, antithetical to profits? I don't think it's actually antithetical for them, for them because if they limited the amount of time, li really limited the amount of time you were on this thing or the parental controls actually worked. I mean, look, I've got kids who know how to break through the parental yeah, controls. Yeah, kids are all the, smarter at this half, stuff than Half the are. controls don't the even work. Properly. But I, I wouldn't blame Apple for this. I, I, I would say I would go, go back to, I like, go to they're say, not supposed to be the, the governor who monitors all the bad behavior from everybody else no, out there. but I think like, that Google, should... I, I put this in Google's camp too, by the way. I think that the folks who, who, who run these things, their incentives actually are slightly different. They're not totally aligned, hopefully, with the, with the folks who make the apps. And therefore, there's an opportunity for them to do something really interesting. And for some reason, they've never fully fundamentally like jumped on board and invested. But we're like, asking really. them to do, private industry to do what the government, do you want government coming in and doing a solution to this? Because well, if they, you don't they, want government the, to do the it, then these guys should be doing it. Yeah, but the companies haven't done anything to kind of step up it, themselves and do this. You know what people are going to say, it all comes back to what? parents. Yeah, I know, but the, 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 again, the kids are smarter than we are. The parental, parental controls. Even trying, they can this. get around the. Yeah, it's, it, and, and you can tell me that I shouldn't have it. Look, I, I, I want them to have a phone so I can reach them when I'm not around, or they can reach me if there's an emergency. I don't particularly want them to have access to all the rest of these things that come with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a vexing issue. It's a vexing issue. By definition, then, social media, we got to learn to live with it because it's here to stay. Yeah, but, but it's not we, great. The, the question is, do you want regulation with it? And this I would be, say there are, there are certain issues where I would love to see more of a crackdown, especially when it comes to child pornography. The idea that we can't get legislation in Congress that will right. even crack down on issues of child pornography seems insane to me. I, I mean, show me who's voting in favor of that. If you had a bad experience in high school, and I went to an all-boys high school, so I didn't really care, but if you had a bad experience in high school, you used to be able to go home yeah. at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Right. You can't go home now. No. You're Follows you. It. Yeah. yeah. It's rough. It's just very rough being a kid. But I think, again, it is back to parents. Maybe you can get around it, but it is back to got to know exactly yeah. what your kids are. Do you know where your kids are? It's 10 o'clock. Right. Yeah, they're in my house, but I don't know they what are, they're, they're doing in They're the sleeping. House. We're the only ones up.
Blackstone's uh, Steve Schwartzman making news from the Future Investment Initiative Summit in Saudi Arabia, known as Davos in the Desert, on a panel yesterday. He said part of the reason that it's difficult to get workers back to offices is because they aren't working as hard at home. He also uh, pointed out that people profit from remote work because they save money on commutes, lunches, and work attire. Schwartzman uh, said he expects companies uh, to cut back on office space when their leases end and called some office properties not survivable at this point as economic entities. But he said newer office buildings were proving resilient and demand for warehouses uh, continue to rise. Schwartzman said uh, Blackstone executives and investment professionals are expected to be at their desk uh, five days a week. Kind of an, 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 uh, an anachronistic Mm-hmm. viewpoint from a guy in his 70s who's obviously he's a square dude but like me yeah. I agree you're at home it's like eh, I don't know what's going on let me look at this uh, oh, I, I, th- I can't imagine you work as hard at home I mean, you, do, I don't there, you need some, su- why that. are there supervisors if you don't need to be supervised? Look, I can think of some, some individuals who, or some careers where you don't need to be. If you're computer programming, and the, and the deal is turn in this okay. project. Do you think the computer programmer works as hard as home as he does in the office? Yes. Maybe he does. Yes. You do? I yeah. think the programmer does and maybe even more productive. Right. Because you don't get stopped down, so by, he's just, down by people who he's want... He's just old-fashioned, Schwartzman. No, I, no, I think, I think in his But do you think there's any... No, uh, you think I there, think if you need to be in a meeting where you actually have to sit and... How really about... Think but human nature. Stuff. Right. You're at work where you're in a cubicle. The boss can walk by at any second and... T- versus... You've been you in cubicles. Think, do you know what we used to do when we sat next to each other in cubicles back in the office? We did the jumble. We had all kinds of, like, stupid things Unless the supervisor came around, and then, then we would And wouldn't. then you would terrorize them until they walked away. Right. <laughs> That's a skill. See, I can work here or at home and not do anything. <laughs> I, I would just say... I'm equally comfortable are, effing off either here or at home. Well, <laughs> I would just say... <laughs> If you are in the business of having to create something, the programmer right. has to write something. If you have you're right. You're right. In. You've been a proponent of. You write at home. I do. Yeah. And, and I you, do. You, I find write, I find the actual act of writing easier to do in a solitary environment than around people. Because you won't get anything done. I think right. if you're in a like, look, we're in the in a newsroom when there's fast breaking news and you, you want to actually be able to hear what one person's saying and be able to pull different strands together. Then being in the newsroom is very valuable. I think if you are working it's on a, a small, longer form, right. uh, some, uh, right. a longer form piece, or or if a programmer is working on actual code, right. I think it's a small, actually being in that small percentage of things does it play into. The, most of the time, the camaraderie and the training and the you and know, I, just and I will say team I'm, spirit and everything else is better. There, there are things that you can't people want you back, Andrew. Right. They, yeah, I mean, no, he's, but he's I saying it, five days. Five a days week. a week is five days a week may be a stretch, but I think there are times, and I've noticed it even in our where we've had interactions with people, where we've had meetings, we've gotten things done. It's been much more productive to have been able to say, "Hey, hey, boom." How about boom. with people a, a remote? I, it makes a difference a to have a guest here in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, and but, for us to be here. But yeah. I also think the boss ultimately gets to have the say, and you are going to lose some talented people who don't want to go along with that if you're the boss. But if you're in a tight labor market, you know, right. the, if you're in a tight labor market, the employees have more say. If you're, if you're in a weaker labor market, the boss has the ultimate say and take it or leave it. Can you say an anachronistic? I watched you slow down with that, and I understood why. I had to. Yeah. 
I, An I felt like I was felt like I was having a like a mental lapse for a second. But you gotta because it both starts with it. It's true. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, psychologist, best-selling author, fellow podcaster over at the Rethinking Podcast, Adam Grant, how he found his own hidden potential and how you can find yours. Instead of asking, how did that go? I should have been asking, what can I do better next time? Which focuses people on being constructive in the future. And instead of criticizing or cheerleading, they end up being coaches. We'll be right back. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Andrew Vine, three, two, roll pray. Here's Andrew. Our next guest is an organizational psychologist who uh, challenges the conventional wisdom on the best ways for people to learn, work, and succeed. Want to bring in best-selling author Adam Grant. He, of course, is a professor at UPenn's Warden School. He's the host of the podcast Rethinking, and he has a new book out uh, just released this week. It is titled Hidden Potential: The Science of achieving greater things. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we get into the book, I'm hoping you can help us with this. We've been dealing with this terrible situation in the Middle East and a crisis, and a crisis of trying to get people to talk to each other. And I feel like as an organizational psychologist who's dealt with behavioral and sort of uh, the, the behavioral management issues and just how people, uh, what, is there any lesson you think in all of the work you've done, maybe not just in this book, but in, in sort of where we are for people to think about all this? I wish I had an easy answer to that question, Andrew. I don't. Um, I think, like a lot of people, I've been horrified um, on many levels. I think the, probably the thing that's been most striking to me is um, just the sheer exhaustion that people are feeling from having to argue. Right. And um, psychologists talk about empathic distress, which is the feeling of burning out from caring about other people but feeling unable to help. And I think we ought to be spending less time bullying people about what they should say online and trying to figure out what we can do offline in real life. And I mean, you've been dealing with, by the way, at the University of Pennsylvania, that's one of the reasons I was thinking about this, um, in terms of just trying to get people to, to, to come together and actually talk to each other. But as it relates to this book, Hidden Potential, uh, underneath the title of the book is this very idea that we all have some kind of potential that we don't know about or that we know about but needs to be somehow unearthed. And the real question I would ask is, some people have it, and it seems like it's very obvious uh, when they have it. Sometimes you meet somebody and you say, they're special. There's something very special about that person. But the book suggests that, that there's something special about all of us, and I think we all want to believe that. And the question is, how do you think is the best way to unearth that, especially in those 
who are still trying to find that sort of passion? Well, I think the, the place I want to start is to say natural talent is overrated. Um, it's really easy to admire prodigies, but most child prodigies do not grow up to become adult geniuses. And I think that leads us to, to really underestimate the slow learners, the late bloomers. And if we want to start unearthing that potential, the, the place I want to begin is to say there's an incredible study uh, that Raj Chetty, an economist, led, where he looked at, um, at predicting people's career success in their 20s and found that you could actually predict income from knowing how many years of experience your kindergarten teacher had. Yeah, this is, I mean, shocking. How could this be? Well, it turns out if you had a more experienced kindergarten teachers, uh, teacher, they don't give you a big edge in reading or math over time. What they do is they teach you character skills. Um, they teach you discipline and determination, and you learn how to be pro-social and proactive, and you carry those skills with you. And I think we need to spend more time on character skills. I remember my first grade, Mrs. Mott. I remember my first grade. I've got first, so I guess she was first grade. I remember she was pretty good. Pretty work for you. Yeah. Um, one of the things you have thought a lot about is hiring, how to hire people and how to find people in terms of uh, their hidden potential. That oftentimes that when you're hiring somebody, if you, you don't necessarily see it in the interview, how you try to extract that. Well, my, my favorite practice is to think a little bit about the trajectory of people's performance over time. So a lot, of, a lot of organizations use GPA, and they think, OK, if, you know, if you've got great grades in school, that means you're smart and you're a hard worker. Mm -hmm. What we know is, actually, a grade point average is much less useful than grade point trajectory, which is the question of, did your grades improve over time? If they did, it's usually a signal that you faced some kind of adversity and you figured out how to overcome it. And I think we ought to pay more attention to From those From a D candidates. to a C? Come on. I mean. I guess that would be the least attractive <laughs> well, even, option. Well, maybe? even if you had, know. if your grades dropped at some point and then came back, that, that explains maybe you had to find out what happened along that, that that path line. But Malcolm Gladwell wrote about this too. I think he he did this whole thing on how the NHL players in Canada all were born in like January, December, or February because they decide at age five who's good and who's not. You know, and that that, that you go through the leagues that way the whole way through. But what you're saying about how there are late bloomers, there are later developers, and we get it wrong sometimes because we focus all our efforts on who we decide is good when they're five or six or seven years old. You know, Becky, there's an interesting twist on those hockey data. Yeah. It turns out that it is true that if you were born earlier in the year, you're more likely to make it. But the, the later births that actually do make it end up becoming more successful on average. And in part, it seems to be the case that they had to be that much better, and they also face deeper competition. Right, because right, when you're looking at a group of five-year-olds, the ones who are six months older have a huge advantage yeah. over the ones who are six months younger. Um, but that's, that's an excellent point, too, getting into just adversity and finding that. What are other ways that if you're a recruiter or you're somebody looking for talent that you can find people who have overcome adversity? There's an incredible call center in Israel called Call Yechol. Um, they hire people with disabilities and underdogs. And one of the things they do is they ask you at the end of the interview, how do you think that went? And then if you're not happy with it, they give you a do-over. And it's a chance to, to see, are you motivated and able to learn? Uh, I, I would love to see every organization on the planet give people a second shot at an interview. Have you done that before? I have. And how does it, but how does it work out? I mean, do most people say, I want the second shot, give, I want to redo it? And if they say they don't, does that mean you disqualify them because they're not trying? Or what's no, the... no, I, it's, it's fine if, if you think it went well that you don't ask for a second shot. But in my experience, about a third of the candidates will, will want to do it again. And it's a great opportunity to see 
you know, what, what do they take away from what didn't go perfectly the first time and then are they focused on improving? If you asked me how I thought an interview went at the end of it, I'd, I'd immediately have self-doubt and think, what? <laughs> Clearly you think something was wrong. What if I ask every candidate? Are you still going to feel that way? I don't know. Maybe I need to tell you that, hey, I love to give everybody right. a shot at this. Can I ask you a, a different question, which has to do with, again, it's sort of the hidden potential issue, but it's also how somebody, maybe a job applicant, projects themselves in the context of one of these, these interviews. Because the truth is, everybody wants to appear to have a sense of humility, but at the same time, you want them to have a sense of confidence. And how folks should talk about themselves in front of other people. Oh, yeah. So I actually studied this a few years ago with Allison for Gale, and we found that people get away with self-promotion uh, when, uh, when the person's not paying attention. So if the interviewer is not fully focused, uh, singing your own praises can work. If they are, it might backfire. I think there are ways, though, to signal both confidence and humility. Um, I, I met a woman years ago who applied for a job she was not qualified for. And she wrote this amazing cover letter and said, I am not the candidate you're looking for. I don't have these years of experience. I don't have these skills. What I do have, though, is a, t a determination to learn. And if you hire me, I'll prove that I'm worth it. And I love the way that she said, look, I'm, I'm not quite the fit, but I'm going to grow into this role. And I think that's a message we could probably communicate more often. Did you hire Yeah, she got the job and she crushed it. <laughs> when you began this project, this book project, and you've written now a number of big bestsellers, what was the thing you were looking to do and, and, and trying to learn? Was there something that in the process of writing this book that you unearthed yourself? Yeah, I think one of my biggest frustrations in my career has been um, I've had a hard time getting feedback from people, useful feedback in particular. Um, when I started doing a lot of public speaking, I would ask, what, 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 can, I, what can I learn? Um, tell me, tell me what's your, what are your notes? Give me some feedback. And I basically heard from cheerleaders and critics. There were cheerleaders who were applauding my best self and saying, that was great, which is useless to me. Uh, there were critics who were attacking my worst self and telling me what was terrible, and that was demoralizing. And one of the things I learned while writing this book is that instead of asking for feedback, it's more effective to ask for advice. Instead of asking, uh, how did that go? I should have been asking, what can I do better next time? Which focuses people on being constructive in the future. And instead of criticizing or cheerleading, they end up being coaches. They see my potential and then hopefully help me become a better version of myself. Adam Grant, the book is called Hidden Potential. Congratulations. Thank you. We've all got some, hopefully. Thank you. And this book's got a lot, so thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, WeWork's former CEO, Adam Newman. He grew up on a kibbutz just two miles from the Gaza border. He's building a new business now with community at its center. Israel has the right to defend itself. I think that goes without saying. I also think that the aftermath of such a horrific event is also horrific. And I think a lot of people are confusing between Hamas and Palestinians. Newman's on the ground in Riyadh at Saudi Arabia's Future Investment Initiative, looking for a productive path forward. Sometimes business is a place where people can find a common ground and easier than a political setting. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. 
Apply today at joindhl.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Saudi Arabia's Future Investment Initiative Conference is underway. Top business leaders from around the world gathering to talk about the global economy and investments in the Middle East. But the war between Israel and Hamas is, to some extent, uh, a major topic uh, there uh, as uh, folks focus uh, historically on the economic uh, issues. But uh, this one of course, uh, front and center. Joining us right now from Saudi Arabia is Adam Newman, of course, the co-founder and former CEO of WeWork. He's also the founder of Flow. He was born in Israel and served in the country's military. And Adam, I uh, want to thank you for joining us this morning. Andrew, thank you for having me. Let, let's start uh, with Israel. I want to I try to understand your thoughts on what's happening uh, in the region uh, and also uh, some of the thoughts that you have about what you've been hearing and talking to folks about uh, at FII. This is our first opportunity both to speak to you and, frankly, to speak uh, uh, with somebody uh, at this moment about what the conversation is on the ground. Um, you've been watching uh, this, this, this tragic situation play out. Um, given that you grew up there, uh, what, what, what are your immediate thoughts? First of all, Andrew, the horrific, barbaric, sadistic acts that were committed on October 7th. I have no words to describe them. As you know, I'm from Israel, but I'm the, time, the place I spent the most time growing up is a place called Kibbutz Nir Am, which is about three kilometers off the Gaza border. And it's one of the many communities that were brutally attacked on October 7th. And it's, it's hard to even describe in words. You know, when, when you look at what's happened, uh, I'm so curious, given that you're now in Saudi uh, at this moment, what the conversation is on the ground uh, ab- about all this, even your decision, by the way, to, to go to FII. I know a lot of executives who are back and forth about whether they should go, whether they shouldn't go. Um, just take us through some of your thinking right now. You know, Andrew, in, in a time like this, and especially because this is so personal, This was scheduled months in advance, but when this occurred, I knew that I even have to go more. As an entrepreneur, as we said, I I spend a lot of time in the kibbutz. I've always represented community and bringing people together. When times are very difficult is when I need, and I think we need to push harder. So for me, there was no question about coming here. What was very uplifting for me is when I arrived here, a lot of people, walked up to me and said, who knew I was Israeli, said, Adam, how is your family? How are you doing? And I appreciated that. And then other people walked up and said, Adam, thank you for coming. It's so important now, even more than ever before. So I knew it was the right thing to do, but based on the reactions I got locally, I feel uh, as uplifted as you can feel with the, with the things that are going around. And what is the the, the thinking there on the ground about what's happening in Israel, um, wh- what, what the next operations look like, um, how to think about um, the, the, the human impact across the board, uh, including on, on, on those uh, innocent uh, Palestinians. And, and, you know, there has been an enormous blowback uh, on some of the Israeli operations already. Uh, Queen Rania was on CNN just yesterday 
being very supportive uh, of uh, the Palestinians. And I wouldn't say she was supportive of Hamas, but it was a very different kind of conversation uh, than uh, has been happening in, in, in other regards. So wh what's, the, what's, the, what's the talk where you are? So I'm going to try to break down what you said slowly. First of all, I think a lot of people agree that Israel has the right to defend itself. I think that goes without saying. I also think that the aftermath of such a horrific event is also horrific. And I think a lot of people are confusing between Hamas and Palestinians. There are innocent lives being lost right now on all sides, and that is always horrific. The discussion here, it's more as a business setting. Everybody's trying to come together. I'll tell you one thing that I saw here. I see a lot of different people from different nationalities, from different religions, trying to come together. And sometimes business is a place where people can find a common ground and easier than a political setting. Regarding what you asked me about Israel's reaction and what it should and shouldn't do, except for the fact that I know Israel has a right to defend itself and must, I'm not in a position to state what should and shouldn't happen. I'm not a politician. What I'm doing is my best that I can do as a businessman, as an entrepreneur. And I think it's up to all of us right now to find our own way that we can do our best. But I also think we can be one of two things. Either we're creators or we're destroyers. I choose to be on the creator side. Uh, there were some, some comments made uh, earlier today uh, by MBS committing to uh, continue these uh, conversations with Israel about normalizing uh, relations. Is, is that a conversation that's happening on the ground where you are? Are, are executives and, 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 and some of the other policy leaders and others that are there talking about that? So I, I think the news came late night U.S. early here, and I definitely think it sent a very positive sing single signal. I also think, I hope that a lot of people around the world are hoping that the peace talks continue. I pray that they continue. And I was happy to hear that those comments were made. And I really think this is the right direction. Tell us about the, the current state of Flow. This is uh, your new company uh, supported uh, by uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, are you doing, I, I, I know you're, you're, you're sponsoring or not sponsoring, but participating in a competition of sorts, uh, not for yourself, but for, for kids in, in Saudi. Tell us about that, but also sort of the state of where flow is right now. So, Andrew, you know, after the discussion we just have and we just had, it's a little hard to go straight into that. But I think I'll, I'll say it in a way that connects. As, as I said earlier, I grew up in the kibbutz and that gave me a lot of who I am and bringing people together and building community has always been what, what we were about and what I was about. And the WeWork journey was an amazing one and took us all the way into here. And I was very lucky to find partners like Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. And the most important word in our partnership is alignment. And we're very aligned towards our views around the world and we're very aligned on our moral standards and we're very aligned on what we want to build. Flow is another iteration of the same story, which is when people live in community, when people live together, when people obviously have differences, but they actually find a way to share passions. They find a way to share business. There's always a common ground. And Flow started by tackling a housing crisis in the US. 35-year-olds uh, 35 and younger are renters over 50%, the exact number last year was around 65 
percent of 35 year olds and youngers in the US were renters. And those renters, that age is only growing. That age is going to be 70% younger than 40 years old are going to be renters. So if I'm a 22 year old and I'm going to be a renter for the next 10 to 20 years, I need an elevated experience. I'm also going to spend a third of my income on that rent. And it just makes sense that I would want to do it in a place where I'm part of a community. I've been saying this more and more when people ask me, but I think we live in a world where we need more friends, right. not more followers. And Flow is using technology and community to bring these buildings together. Adam, we've talked uh, before about lessons learned from the WeWork experience, uh, but, but the WeWork story has shifted uh, since we last talked. Um, most recently, the company warning that it could file for bankruptcy. And I'm curious how you're thinking about that now, both the future of WeWork and, and the entire WeWork story. As you know, Andrew, I haven't been involved in the past four years. So I've been staying on the sidelines and observing. And when I think of the WeWork story, put me aside, I think of the unbelievable team that we had that built this global business and the efforts they put for over a decade. I have the pleasure of working with some of those team members today. And we talk about how amazing it was. I think WeWork's opportunity today, its product market fit is even greater than ever before in a world where leasing is as difficult as it's been and office occupancy is, is in all-time lows and companies are not sure if they're hybrid work or full-time work. So it's been uh, difficult to observe from the side and see what's happening. But as, as, you, as you look at this and you say there's a market fit, does the model work? And does that, has, has what's happened to that model shifted any of your thinking or been a lesson for how you're thinking about flow? So, as you said, I've learned a lot of lessons from WeWork and we're applying all of them to flow. And one of them is when you're outside of a situation, it's sometimes hard to understand exactly what's happening in the inside. So I'm looking at things from the outside and I'm seeing what's happening in flow. And in flow, our residents are using our spaces not just to live, but we have co-working ancillary services in our spaces. We just added conference rooms in our spaces. 70% of our residents work at least one day, if not longer, from home. The future of living and the future of work are really correlated. But to, as we mentioned, I have my great investors, I'm partners with A16Z. Everything that I'm gonna do in the future is gonna take the lens of alignment and everything through flow. And as a team, we have been observing what's happening to WeWork. And yes, we do believe there's a shift in the model between what happened in the past to what happened today, specifically to enterprises that are now tackling returning back to work, work from home, work in the office. We've been talking to some of the largest Fortune 500 companies on the planet and their needs have changed. But the need of people working together, the need for community has never been greater. Adam Newman, I uh, want to thank you for joining us this morning from Saudi Arabia. We very much appreciate it and look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Thanks. We are at the end of the show, but we sure appreciate your time. That does it for us. We're out. We're good. And that's the pod for today. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 